So I have a question. How many of you feel like, look, you have burned the ships and you have followed Jesus, but it feels like following Jesus is a little hard? Like you may have said, look, I'm all in with God. I'm all in with Jesus. But man, sometimes the journey of following Jesus is a little bit harder than I thought. Sometimes it feels like, man, uh, why am I not further along? Right? Does it ever feel like that? Like, why am I not further along in my journey with Jesus? Why is this taking so long? Well, here's the truth. I think for many of us, we've burned the ships and we're saying yes to Jesus, but we're probably carrying some things with Jesus and along our journey with Jesus that we don't need to carry anymore. We've kind of loaded up the cargo a little bit. If we want to follow the ship analogy, we may have burned the boat, but we left all the cargo on the shore. And we kind of were like, you know, I might need this cargo for where I'm heading. And how many of us know that that weighs you down? In fact, I was thinking about it and uh, a couple years ago, and anyone who has kids can probably relate to this. But is anybody in here an overpacker? Like you go on a trip for two days, but you bring two weeks of clothes, right? And you're like, I know that it is summertime, but I may need this winter pea coat because, you know, we live in crazy times. I was thinking about it, and, you know, when you have little kids, especially babies, babies come with a lot of stuff. Like, it's crazy. We needed a second house just to hold the baby's stuff. And so we were, Kelsey and I were on vacation. This was early on, and, you know, when you're new parents especially, you're kind of like over-preparers. I always had to remind Kelsey, I would say, hey, there are babies born in third world countries, and they're making it. And so we're going to be okay. We may not need six strollers. I just, maybe not. The wheel falls off. We can carry them, right? But I remember one particular trip. We were coming home for Christmas. And so you were bringing a lot of, I mean, you're bringing pack and plays and you're bringing strollers and you're bringing 16,000 bottles and enough clothes to clothe an army. And I was trying to pack everything into the back of the car. And I was like, we need a bigger car. Like, can I get a trailer? I need a trail car to get me here. And so I'm like packing. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. I'm putting everything in. And you know, like the worst part is when you get everything crammed in, you shut the door. And then the moment of peril is when you arrive and you have to open the trunk again, because you don't know what is flying out. And what I realized is, is packing all that stuff that wasn't necessary because we didn't use half of it on our trip it really impeded our trip, right? It made us pack longer. It made us take longer. And man, the trunk was so full, I couldn't see out the rearview mirror like I'm impeded. And I wonder just for a second if that's us in this room in our relationship with God. We're kind of like taking all this stuff with us that honestly, we don't really need anymore. Because a lot of us, the hardest thing I think for us as believers in Jesus is to really move from a me-focused life to a God-focused life, to a Jesus-focused life, right? And what happens is, is because we're me-focused, we kind of pack the car super tight. We kind of overload the car because, man, we think maybe I might need that or maybe this will protect me. And so here's the idea today. We've got to let go and leave some things behind if we're going to follow Jesus. If we're going to see the fullness of what God has for us in this life, we got to let go. So we're going to look at three different stories today of people who were willing to let go in what God did and one who wasn't and what happened to them in their life. And so here's the thing. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, there are seven items that we're going to talk about today that you can leave behind if you want to thrive. Seven items that you can leave behind in your life if you want to thrive in your walk with Jesus. Anybody in here want to thrive in their walk with Jesus? Let's go. So we got some things to offload. So let's get ready to do some work, okay? So the very first thing that we're going to see today is this idea of trauma. And everyone's like, okay, this is serious. You're getting in my, my biscuits a little bit here. Trauma is a big deal. And we're going to look at one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I'm so sad to hear this, that this past week, um, in the area where this well is, it was actually damaged. Um, it's called Jacob's Well. It's where the story of the Samaritan woman happened. And we got to take a group of people to that well. It's a powerful, powerful place. But the monastery uh, that's built around it was attacked um, in the war, and it was severely da damaged. And so it's sad. But... 
don't worry, we still got the story right here, and we don't need to go to a well to get the wealth of the story, right? So if you have a Bible with you, open up to John chapter 4. We're going to start here. We're going to read through the story, and then I'm going to point out some things as we get going. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining popularity and baptizing more people than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. This is really important in the story because he didn't have to. There was another way to go in the land to go around Samaria. Many times, Jews would not go to Samaria because it was a people who had had lived with and, and had children with pagan cultures. And so the Jewish people avoided Samaria. But the Bible says that Jesus had to go through. What does that mean? It means that Jesus has some business with somebody in Samaria and the Holy Spirit is leading him to go here. Some of you in this room need to go through Samaria. Some of us need to let go of some baggage. Some of us need to let go of some things. You got to go where God is calling. So he came down to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, midday. Now, how many of us know you? We live in Florida in the middle of summer. Noon is hot. Noon is like, what? Man, nobody wants to do anything at noon. If you garden at noon in August, you're crazy. You're crazy. You want heat stroke, all right? I get it, okay. So here's what happens. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? We're going to come back to this. This is super important. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Notice Jesus does, he's like, we're going to get past that. We're going to get past that boundary. And I need you to understand the kind of conversation that we're having. She responds, she says, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get living water? She's thinking on the earthly plane. Jesus is talking about the heavenly one. Maybe some of us are bringing stuff with us in life and we're packing stuff with us for earthly needs, but we got to start thinking about on a heavenly plane. we got to start thinking beyond just the needs of this life. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? She said important people have been here. This is an important place. Jesus is like, yeah, well, I know, but um, I'm the one who gave Jacob the well. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Notice he's calling her heavenward again. Indeed, the water I give them will become to them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Why would she say that? Because the well was a reminder of her for her entire life that her life had gone wrong. If you're showing up in the middle of a desert to a well at noon, that means you don't want to see anybody. And every day you walk there by yourself with no community, with no people, you're avoiding everyone. It's a a, a sign of trauma and shame, which we'll get to in just a second. Could you just imagine, and some of you live this way in your life, there is something in your life that is an everyday reminder that things have gone wrong. Maybe it's that kid that's not in the house because they're gone and they're prodigal. Maybe it's the fact that you don't have that wedding ring on anymore. Maybe it's the fact that you're paying rent and don't own a house because you couldn't handle your finances. Like, I don't know what it is, but is there a daily reminder for you? And sometimes it's just the reflection in the mirror that you look at, and it's a reminder that life had gone wrong. Don't worry. God doesn't leave us here. He has hope for us today. Because what can be our reminder can also be our victory. And what can remind you of the hopelessness of your life can remind you now of the greatness of Jesus. So let's continue with the story. 
She says, she, she goes crazy. She goes, uh, so the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I don't have to come back to this place ever again. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. Jesus gets into her business a little bit. She said, I have no husband. Anyone ever here tell half-truths? Yeah, she does. She replied, Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. In this culture, what? Five husbands. In our culture, we're even saying the same thing now. And we get divorced, we get, everyone's like, yeah, whatever. She's had five husbands. Something's not right. And the man you now have is not your husband. He says, you're living with somebody that ain't your man. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, that term is not one of degradation, but that is one of honor. You notice what Jesus says to his mom when he's on the cross? Woman, behold your son. This is a term of endearment. This is a term of identity. This is a term of respect and honor. Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. That means Jesus is coming out of the heritage of Judaism. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. It means we can't worship Jesus with all the earthly things that we have. We have to worship him in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in the truth. She then admits and goes, I know that the Messiah is coming, and he's going to reveal all these things to us. And Jesus says, I am he. And the story goes on, and the disciples come back. They're kind of wondering what happens. But I want us to focus on one verse that Jesus so radically changes this woman's life. Jesus so radically transforms her thought and her mind that in verse 28 it says this, the disciples come back and why are you talking with her? She doesn't have time for the hate because she found Jesus and look at what happens in verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, leaving the vessel which is a reminder of her shame, her trauma, her hurt, she left it behind. And went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? That's a rhetorical question. Like, do you like ice cream? That's rhetorical. Everyone likes ice cream, right? (laughs) Someone in here is like, oh, I don't. All right, whatever. All right. So seven things, seven items you can leave behind in order to thrive in life. And the first is trauma. Verse 6 of that chapter, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had already gone in to the town to buy food. This right now, I know that we sometimes the, the text is just this 2D rendering of what is going on, but this is 3D right here. Because her showing up at noon meant something had gone wrong in her life. That there is some kind of trauma in her life that caused her to be ostracized and to not be around people. Now I want to say this. Because the church has not always done a great job at this. If you in this room have trauma, there is no shame in this room if you have trauma. And in fact, we as a church would encourage you to address that trauma. We would encourage you to go to counseling. We would encourage you to find a godly person who can walk you through what is going on in your life. And God will use that person through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching and teaching of his word, with the Holy Spirit ministering in your life to bring you freedom. And so there is no judgment here. If you need counseling, we encourage it. In fact, we encourage it so much at Bedrock, we have a fund that we set aside that if you need counseling, we'll fund you of up to $250 to start it. You say, I don't have the money to start. Great, we do. And when you give a bedrock, by the way, that's the kind of stuff that it goes to help do. 
That's the kind of stuff that it helps people with. And we have helped fund people going to counseling and starting that journey and walking alongside them. And they're sitting in this room and there's no shame. There is no judgment. Those people are serving. Those people are walking with Jesus. And so if you're in this room and you got trauma and you need healing, we encourage you to go to counseling. We encourage you to seek wise counsel. We encourage you to tell others. You don't need to hide. You don't need to walk to the well by yourself. We're not just saying get over it. We're talking about really allowing Jesus to heal you so that you are not called by your trauma anymore. Right? We talked about those reminders of those things that call you, call you out by the things that have gone wrong in your life and the things that have happened to you. Every day she carried that jar to the well at noon was a reminder. It was calling her name. Notice what Jesus didn't say to her. What? What's wrong with you? Why are you here now? Why didn't you get water earlier with the rest of the ladies? Jesus knew exactly what was going on. And notice that the Bible said that this woman needed healing. And so Jesus had to go to Samaria. He had to. He had to meet her. She had a divine appointment and Jesus wasn't going to miss it. You have a divine appointment and God's not going to miss it. And so what happens for us is we we need to understand that trauma is something that many of us carry with us, that we take with us, and it actually becomes our identity. In fact, that's what our culture is encouraging us to do right now, right? We would call this a victim mentality. Look, I know that you may be a victim. I know that. But in Christ, you can be victor. In what Jesus can do, if the greatest trauma ever experienced in the world was the killing of the Son of God, yet it is the most victorious moment in human history because Jesus defeats sin and death, then he can do something. He can heal you. And in fact, he can heal you so much that the thing that you thought was worst about you now is the ministry that you take to the world to tell others about what God can do when you give it up to him. Can somebody in this room get excited that we serve a God who is not just pounding us into the ground and telling us all the things that went wrong, that we love a God who came from heaven to earth to die for our trauma so that we could live again? If you want to thrive, you've got to leave trauma behind. It's always there. you know, we're going to look at a verse that says, forgetting what is behind. That doesn't mean having amnesia. It means I'm not paying any mind to this anymore. This isn't my story anymore. We see in the story that she has trauma. And let me tell you, trauma's best friend's name. It's shame. Shame. Look at what happens there. She shows up at noon. She shows up in the middle of the day. So not only is her trauma caused her to be ostracized, but her shame causes her to avoid others. Look, I know in this room, we talked about small groups launching next week, and you're like, not me. I can't get in a small group. I got too much trauma. I got too much shame. My life is too bad. You know what that's doing is it's isolating you for the enemy to take care of you. Anyone ever watch how a wolf hunts? Wolves do not hunt the strongest in the herd. They break off the weakest. And they isolate that alone. And the enemy does the same to you. Some of us are not receiving victory in our life right now and walking through our trauma and our shame because you have no community. And your shame has caused you to go to the well at noon when it really needs to cause you to run to the well at 8 a.m. when everyone else is there so they can walk with you through this. Our groups at this church, group leaders, people who attend groups, need to be the safest place at our church for people to thrive. Guys, if we're going to do life, it's messy. It's so messy, Jesus had to die for us. That's how messy sin is. Okay? Can we get messy? Can we be the kind of church that goes, you know what? No, we're not this this whitewashed building. We know that people need help. We know that people need to walk through this. And yes, we are washed by the blood of Christ and we are pure as snow. But man, how many of us need to walk with brothers and sisters in Christ through our shame? The well for you may be your small group. The well for you may be your work. The well for you may be that you don't talk to your family anymore. The well for you may be the holidays. I don't know what the well is for you, but there's probably something that's keeping you from walking with everybody. 
I want to encourage you with a verse here because God answers this question for us in Romans 8 verses 1 and 2. Listen to what Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is felt through shame. That's exactly how it's felt. Condemnation is felt through shame and trauma and guilt and anxiety and worry and aloneness. That is what it is. And this is what the Bible says, that in Jesus, there is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So look, you're either in shame or you're in with Jesus. Where are you walking in this life right now? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has what? Set you free from the law of sin and death. You no longer have to wear the shackles of shame and trauma. But not only that, how many of us know when we get trauma and we get shame and we get hurt by a lot of people, we carry this thing called distrust. And the reason we can't get into community with people is because we've been burned by people. And let me just tell you something, everyone. It doesn't make it hurt less. It just gives you a perspective. Hurt people hurt people. It's just a reality, man. Anyone in here, you get like all up in your junk, you get all up in in your life, and you think about those moments that hurt you so bad, and then you lash out at others. They're doing the same thing. That's what's going on. Right? There's, there's something going on in their life, but how many of us know that when we have trauma and we have shame and we think about the hurt that others have caused or the hurt that we've caused and that shame, it causes us to distrust others. And for many of us, it causes us to distrust God. It causes us to, to distrust in, in this moment. And, and here's the reality of what I've found many times. You may want to write this down. People will trust God up to the point of their pain. People will trust God up to the point of their pain. And many times we get to this place in life where that trauma, that shame, whatever, we trust Jesus with so much until we get to the pain point. And then a lot of us pull away. A lot of us try to drink it away, smoke it away, spend it away, have sex with it, like, and just go, let, let that go away. Like, we try to remove that by distracting ourselves from it rather than giving Jesus the pain. Why? Because how many of us struggle with the idea of, what if I don't have a woman at the well story? What if I don't have a, 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 a story where God miraculously sets me free? And so you settle for shackles because you're afraid of freedom. Where are you in your walk with Jesus right now? Where are you in your walk with God? Do you trust God up to the point of your greatest pain? And then that's kind of where the relationship goes and you're never gonna thrive with Jesus and you're never gonna thrive in your walk with God if you don't give him everything because that's exactly what he wants. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't come for the good. He came for the ugly. He came for the worst. And a God who will die for you at your worst is a God that you can trust with your greatest pain. And maybe you've been in rooms in your life and you've been around people uh, in your life because, man, you've been hurt and you've had all of these moments happen. And the moment you get close to people and they kind of act like the people who hurt you did, you have distrust and you pull away. And I get it, like it's a defense mechanism. And I'm not saying like just walk into things blindly and without wisdom and discernment. But but man, how many of us have missed out on our relationship with God and our relationship with others because we have distrust? We we always say this, right? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Some of you in your life, it's been a quick walk with Jesus, but it stopped somewhere. If you want to go with Jesus for a long time, you want to walk with Jesus for a long time, you're going to have to trust him and others. Use discernment, of course. And so we see that this woman, she says, like, who, who are you? Look, look at this, listen to this distrust as she talks to him. She, the Samaritan woman said to him when he asked for a drink, she says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Like, I, what, what's the catch? Are you just another one of these guys that wants to throw rocks at me? Are you just another one of these guys who wants to sleep with me? Are you just another one of these guys who wants to hurt me? Are you just another person who wants to shame me? Who are you? I don't trust you. 
Is that the way we talk to Jesus? Like, hey, I know that thing happened to me, so who are you to talk to me? Who are you to bring the healing in my life? Because I can't, I can't have false gods anymore. I can't have false hope anymore. And so you distrust. But let me just tell you another thing that we see in the text from the story of the woman at the well is the fact that there are certain relationships that need to die in your life. I know we're all Christian. And I know we're supposed to love everyone. But loving everyone, there's different ways. You can love people from distance. Amen? There are some things where the forgiveness can be given and it can be, be, be expressed, but it doesn't mean that the relationship goes back to the way that it was. I want you to understand that. We use wisdom and discernment and reconciliation between us and others means that things are good, but they don't always go back to being the same. Right? Because we're reconciled to Christ and his reconciliation is better. Things didn't go back to just, well, we got to do all these works and we got to do all these things and we got to go and, and make all these sacrifices every year. When we are reconciled to Christ, it's a new reconciliation. It's once and for all in Jesus. Look at what the Bible says as uh, John, or John expresses what happens in this woman's life. Remember, Jesus says to her, go back and tell your husband about this. What does she say? I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Here's what Jesus is saying. There's some relationships that need to die. There's some relationships that need to change. Some of you in this room are, have people around you, parents, friends, siblings, uh, people you're dating, that those relationships need to change or they need to go. If you're married, I'll tell you what needs to happen. It needs to change. You need to seek Jesus together. You need to find and seek the Holy Spirit together and encourage one another towards goodness and towards God, not pulling each other down. We need to make a change. But if you have relationships outside of that, that, that need to, to, they need to shift that's exactly what he's saying to her. Look, like there's some relationships in your life. You've had five husbands and the guy you're with now isn't your husband. You got some unhealthy relationships going on. It's holding you back from what God has for you. It's, it's this baggage that you don't need to carry anymore. And so what does the Samaritan woman do that is so correct in this story? What, is, what does she do that changes everything? Look at what the Bible says in verse 28. I had us read this because it was so important. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, leaving a vessel that is a reminder of the things that have gone so wrong in her life, she let it go. Leaving the water jar, the woman went back to the town and said, To the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? In order for her to go to the people and go where God had called her to be, she had to let go of the thing that was the greatest reminder of her shame, her her trauma, her, her relationships. Like, she had to let go of these things to move forward in Jesus. And that's the very first thing that she does that is so right and that so many of us need to do. We need to let go. We need to let go. We need to let these things go. If I was going to use the ship analogy, when you burn the ship, put this stuff in it. Don't leave it on the shore. Load the boat and burn it. Why? Because you can't go back to ashes, can you? There's no point. And so what happens here in this story is, is she does exactly what she needs to do. She lets go of the jar. Every morning when she picked it up. <sighs> It's noon again. I got to go back by myself again. Oh, that guy who's not my husband is yelling at me again. I got to go by myself again. I have no friends again. I have all this hurt again. And notice what she did in order to follow Jesus. That vessel had no place in her life anymore. It's time to let go. And letting go means getting counseling. Letting go means getting in community. 
Letting go means letting other people know that you trust. We, we say this, you're, you're, open with all, you're, you're honest with all, you're intimate with few. You gotta know who to trust with your stuff. I get that. But there's some things that we gotta let go if we're gonna thrive in our relationship with Jesus. But now we get to a story of a, of a young man who, uh, who couldn't let go. And there's great tragedy in his life. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, if you guys will stick with me. I know this is a lot, but probably there's one thing in this for you. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, as Jesus was on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Notice he, he puts himself in a place of worship. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Inherit. It's this term of a great future, a great gift given to you that you did not earn yourself. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Being a good person is not enough to get you into heaven. Reality. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, you've kept all these rules. But that's not enough because of original sin of what you and I have to go through. We need someone to pave the way and pay the way for us. Teacher, he declared all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Mm. Could Jesus be calling some things out of your life, not because he's an angry God, but because he's a loving God? Could he be looking at you and seeing some idols in your life that are controlling you, and because he loves you, he's going to say, hey, you want to follow me? You want to thrive in eternity, not just on earth? There's some things we're going to have to let go. Look at what the Bible says as it continues. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Do you notice that the one of the Ten Commandments that wasn't mentioned there was you shall have no idols in the text above you shall have no idols you shall have no other gods before me notice he didn't say that when he read off the commandments because Jesus knew that he did have an idol Jesus knew that he did have someone controlling him Jesus knew that there was another God that he bowed down to one thing you lack you forgot the first commandment Teacher, he declared, I've kept all these things. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Many of us think it's easy to give when you have a lot. It's not. Giving has nothing to do with amount. It has everything to do with the posture of the heart. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Whoa, what's going on here? Why? Because it's so much self-reliance. How hard is it for this people to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, not a little needle. An eye of a needle, it was what was built in a castle wall, and it was where the archers would aim out of. It was the hole in the wall that the armors would age out of. We all think of like a little pin needle. Both are hard, okay? He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Thanks be to God that we believe in a God of impossibility. The disciples were amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Look at what Jesus says. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I want you to notice something that, that keeps many of us from thriving with God. And whether you have a little or a lot, it depends. Because let me just tell you something. Poor people think about money just as much as rich people do. I'm just being honest. Poor people think about money just as much as rich people think about money. Why? Because the love of money is the root of all evil. Because it's an easy God. Because it's a God that serves you. Right? Money is a God that you can manipulate to do whatever you want to do. 
have a lot of it, you can do a lot of bad things. If you have a little bit of it, you can do a little less of it. Money is a revealer of what is in your heart. You show me your bank account, I'll show you what's going on. True. True. Money can build great things and be used in the kingdom of God to do incredible things. And let me just tell you something. God can do it without money. Bedrock started with $2,500. That's it. Not $25,000, not $250,000, not $2.5 million, $2,500. Today, that wouldn't even rent you an apartment in some parts of our city. And that, that wasn't every month. That's what we started with. Money can be something that for so many of us can cause us to lack in our ability to thrive. Why does God call us to give? Why are we doing the Together campaign? Why are we calling people to give? We're going to give an update on that campaign next week. But why? Because giving frees us from the love of money. God doesn't need your money, but it allows you to let go of the idol. It allows you to trust that God can do something greater with the idol that you thought could serve you, that God can cause that to do great things. So giving isn't just for God. Giving helps you. It frees you. It moves you. And let me just tell you something. If the very first thing that you think about when you feel called by God to go somewhere to do something is how much it costs, you may have an idol problem. Instead of it being like, no matter what the cost, God's going to work it out. If he's called me to it, he'll get me through it. Because he's writing the check. I'm not. He will provide abundantly for those whom he loves. But along with money is this thing that so dominates us in our life, and it's pride. Pride. Pride is when we have a greater view of self than others, including God. And we may say, oh no, God's greater than me, God, God could do more than me. God is better than me, but the way that you live your life will show you what's going on. And let me just tell you something. Without faith, is it, it is impossible to please God. So if you live a life that you need no faith in, that tells me that you are the solution to your problems and not him. And let me just tell you, if you're the solution to your problems, to your life, and everything that goes on, it's not leading you to Jesus. And that's why your relationship is hindered. And finally, the last thing that causes us to struggle, and if we're honest, this probably feeds a lot of it, because I'm going to explain in just a second is insecurity. I'm not enough. I will never be enough. I cannot do this. This won't work. How is this going to happen? It's insecurity. I want you to listen to what happens. So, so in this story, we have the woman at the well. She does the right thing. She lets go. We have the rich young ruler. He does the wrong thing. He can't let go. He holds on tight. And then we have Gideon here. Look what the Bible says, Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under an oak that was in Ophrah which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, as Gideon, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. He's threshing wheat in a basement. You need wind to thresh wheat. That's how scared Gideon is. He's hiding in the basement trying to thresh the wheat. This is not a brave person. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. This dude is throwing wheat into the air in a place with no airflow, like it's pointless. He's hiding in the basement. And notice what God says. He doesn't call him by his shame. He doesn't call him by his trauma. He doesn't call him by his insecurity. He calls him by who he's created him to be, valiant warrior. He's speaking life into Gideon right here. Then Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, if this, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Anybody ever been there? The reason you can't go with God is because you distrust him because you see all the bad things that have happened? Huh? If God's really with us, then why all this? What are we supposed to do with this? And where are all of his miracles which our fathers told us about? Anybody in here like that? Where's God? Where's all the miracles? 
They're all around. You just got to see them. Where, where is all of this? And then he says this. He says, did the Lord not bring us up from Egypt, but now has the Lord abandoned us and handed us over to Midian? You hear the distrust? You hear the trauma? You hear the shame? You hear all these things. You hear the pride? And the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this strength of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? But he said to him, O Lord, how am I to save Israel? Behold, my family is the least of Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. This is what Gideon says. Look, dude, I'm threshing wheat in the basement. I'm not your guy. I'm not a man of valor, and I actually have some problems with you. I actually have some hurt, and I have some trauma, and I have some shame, and I have some insecurity, and how am I going to do this? And, and don't you know who I am? I'm the least of these. I can't do this. And how many of us, like, God is calling you to do some incredible things in your life, but you say, not me. Not me. And that's true. In you, you can't. In you, you can't. But the story doesn't end there with Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse 16, it says this. How, how am I going to do this? I am the youngest of my father's house. Yet the Lord said to him, I will certainly be with you. And you will defeat Midian as one man. How? I'm the least. I'm insecure. I can't do all these things. I haven't told you the best part of the story yet. I am with you. I am with you. Because here's the reality. Insecurity is a, is, is a belief in self rather than a trust in God. That's what insecurity is. It's a lack of belief in self rather than a trust in God. And all of these things that, that hinder us from our relationship with God have a self-motivation, not a Jesus motivation. Like I said at the beginning, so many of us bring bags and things like that. You guys can bring up the bags now if you'd want. And we hold on to all of these things and, we, and we, we burn the ship. We're with Jesus, but we think there's so many things that we got to take with us in order to thrive in our relationship with God. And so the guys are going to be bringing up all these bags, but the reality is it's like all of us are carrying all of this baggage. We're overpacking the car. We're taking too many things with us that we don't need to take with us anymore. And so we say, oh, yeah, I'm all in on Jesus, but, but man, you know, uh, I got some trauma. It's pretty big. And so I just, you know, I don't want to get hurt again. I'm just going to take this with me. It's always before me. It always reminds me. It always impedes me. I can't bend over and get what I need, right? And so we put on trauma. And then, you know, like his best friend that holds you back, is good old shame. Here he is. Okay, I I, I got I can't get too close to people. I mean I can't look people in the eye. I can't be in community. I need to be alone. Oh, life's tough. Life's tough. Oh, but wait, wait. There's more. Um, you know, not not only is it insecurity, but man, you know, um, so, some people uh, hurt me. Um, I can't trust anybody. So that's got to come too because like I, I could kick that at people when they get close. No, get back, right? Because we think all this stuff protects us, right? No one can stab you. No one can stab you in the back. No one can stab you in the front. You can now kick people away with your distrust. And then, you know, like <laughs> we got this distrust, but, but, you know, we still, because we don't think we deserve a lot in this life, we, we start to... Um, just bring in bad relationships. Oh, man. So we got these bad relationships. We got distrust. We got shame. We got trauma. But, you know, and then we got, we got money. This is big, so we feel better. It's nice. I got my money. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, this is a lot. And then we got pride. Look at all my stuff. Jesus, do you like this? This is made in France. It's nice. It's leather, genuine leather. It's nice. Um, this is 
Patagonia, so it's Patagucci is what we call it, right? Um, I'm ready. Do you need me? You need me? I'm ready to come, Jesus. I'm ready for the journey. You need my, I got my stuff. And then, and then you got this one. And I chose this one specifically because it's my wife's. <clears throat> but you'll see why. It's not because my wife is this. It's because it's a pink flower bag. And you know what this is? This is my insecurity. Because I'm not super secure up here with this on here. This is going to go all over the internet. Here it is, guys. And then we kind of get to the airport of life. And we show up and we believed in Jesus. And we're like, hey, we're moving to a new city. Going to a new place. (sighs) Jesus, I'm ready for you. I'm ready. And I think Jesus, if we're honest, would look at us and say, hey, where we're going, you don't need those things. Where we're going, everything's already prepared. Where we're going, it's already taken care of. And so what does Jesus do? Mark, could you come up here real quick, please? See, because these things for you and I are unbearable. These things for you and I, we can't go very far with all this stuff. I had to get people to help me carry all this stuff in here today. (laughs) We have too much luggage. Um, And so Mark's going to play Jesus, but he's not. Um, But Jesus meets us at the airport, and we say, hey, I'm ready to go wherever you want. And Jesus looks at us and says, you don't need those things where we're going? And he says, but you know what? Give it to me. I'll take it. I'll take care of it. You give me your insecurity, and you you give me your distrust, and you're like, I'm sorry, Jesus, this is taking so long. I can't get out of these things. They're heavy. And he's like, here, can you help me? Yeah, man. I can't. This is my shame and my trauma. I got it. And Jesus takes it, maybe. I got it. We didn't practice this. And he says, you know what? Follow me. I'll take you where you need to go, and I'll take care of all your bags. Thanks, Mark. Because here's the reality. And look, that's the reality of some of us walking in our life right now. But you notice how much more free I am now? I can go anywhere now. I can do anything now because I let go. But here's the thing. A lot of us want to go back. Wait, that hurt. Okay, need my weapon. This thing's loaded. Jesus is like, no, no, like we burned that with the boat. We're not going back. We left that at the other terminal. We're not going back. Because here's the reality. You want to thrive in your relationship with God? You want to move forward? Here's the reality. It's all about relationship with Jesus. That's all of this. Because all of those things that we mentioned, those seven things that cause you to not thrive, are about relationship with self. And your relationship with Jesus is what frees you. And I'm reminded of these words from the Apostle Paul as he's in jail writing the book of Philippians, a book on joy. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself having taken hold of it, which is holiness and righteousness fully. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining on towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What's Paul saying? You're going to need to leave some things behind in order to walk with Jesus, in order to follow Jesus, and for your relationship with him to thrive. It's time to burn the boats, and it's also time to burn the cargo. And so as the band comes up, we're going to get ready to just uh, respond in this moment. But let me ask you something. What baggage did you walk in here with today? Maybe I didn't mention it. Maybe you got something else. What baggage did you walk in here with today? What hopelessness did you walk in here with today? What insecurity did you walk with in here today? What, what, what relationship hurts did you walk in with? What trauma did you walk in here with? What shame did you walk in this room with here today? And you came in with all your bags. 
He said, man, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready for you. And Jesus is calling you now to drop the bags and it's time to let go. And the band is going to worship and the band is, and we're going to worship our God. And that's a way for us to let go, to take our minds off of us and to fully move towards him for he is worthy. Guys, what do we need to do in this room today? What is God calling you to let go of? Do you need counseling? It's okay. Do you need to get in community? It's okay. Do do you need to let go of shame and tell someone about what happened? It's okay. Is money your problem? Then give. Just let go. What, What do you need to do today? I don't know. But I know it's like God was cooking up this message this week I was getting cooked because there's stuff in my life there's bags I'm still carrying around there's still things that I run to and it's a deliberate choice for me and it has to be a deliberate choice for you to let go are you tired yet are you tired because you're carrying things you were never meant to it's time to let go and maybe you're in this room and you're like, I don't know God. I don't believe in God. John Maxwell always says this, and I think it's one of the best things ever. He goes to people who are atheists and say, I don't know God. I don't believe in God. I don't do all these things. And he goes, I, I know. I know you don't. But, but don't you miss him? Don't you miss him? Where in your life are you living as an atheist? You're holding on to your stuff. Do you need to let go? Because don't you miss him? Don't you miss his provision? Don't you miss his peace? Don't you miss his his warmth? Don't you miss his grace? Where are you missing it? Because church, if we're going to go together, wherever we're headed, we got to leave the backs behind. It's time. Come do work. I'm going to be down here to pray with you. Uh, Patrick is down here. Mark is coming down. There's others that will be down here. Tara's here to pray with you. Let's leave the bags here. And God will burn the altar. And there's no going back. God, we love you. God, we thank you. We praise you. We honor you in this place today. God, you are good and you are kind and you are better than we can imagine. And so, God, would you give us faith to trust and to believe you today with these things? God, we honor you above all else. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Holy Spirit, call us home call us home. And may there be no shame in this place because if we're honest, every person needs to come forward so there's no shame in doing it. Make us brave. God, we love you. We thank you in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen.